Good morning, everybody. It's nice and cool in here. How many of you love this hot weather? Yeah, that's a lot less than people like, I hate it. I'm still shocked. Like, a few months ago when it was just raining and cold, I'm like, how many of you are ready for this to be done? You're like, no, we love it. And this is all I wanted. And now I just want it to cool down. I told you. Hope you've had a good week. I uh, got at least, and I had a chance to be up at Hume Lake for a few days with uh, uh, the counselors and the high schoolers, the middle school this past week. It was a great week. We accomplished one of our goals. We brought back all the kids that came up with us. So it's always nice when there's not one like somewhere else. I mean, the temptation was there, but it didn't happen. Um, I saw this image on a sign. Any ideas what this sign was? What do you think of when you see that image? Ice? No one sees jazz hands? <laughs> yeah, I saw like dance. I saw like leaping for joy. Anything else? You see somebody? Okay, you're right. So. Here's the sign. Caution. Watch your step. I don't know. When I saw the person, I just thought joy. I'm like, that person's having the time of their life. But the clarification around the sign uh, told you otherwise. We have this thing in our society. When there's a, a spill on aisle five, the first thing they do is they put down a sign. Whether they come back and clean up the spill is a whole other case, right? Uh, watch your step. Mind the gap, if you will. Um, yes, you know what I'm talking about. And in England, because cars are going on the other side of the street, they remind you to look to the left because you're about to get hit by a car, whatever it is. We have signs. They warn us. We have a society where they were told of certain dangers because of water, uneven pavement. And they're there so to stop what we would call the stumble. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about the stumble a little bit. There is nothing quite like that moment. When I was young, I didn't panic when I stumbled because I just trusted I would catch myself. As I've gotten older and you realize how much it hurts when you fall, when you stumble, you hit like a carp, and that mo those few seconds when your body is losing control, everything in you is like, I just got to stop this fall. And then for some reason, you're thinking, who is watching this crazy fall? And inevitably in my life, many people. And then when you catch yourself, you're like, I still got it. And there's times I just like cover up and I'm like, I'm going down. But that moment of stumble, it's not just like a little trip. But if you know what I'm talking about, when your whole body is losing, that's the image or the feeling I want you to take into these words of what Jesus was saying. It's bad enough when we stumble ourselves, but when somebody else is actually causing it, that's a whole different level of evil, if you will. This morning we're talking about the stumble because Jesus did. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who secures our steps, that is with us when we fall. And you also care deeply about those moments in our lives 
And you have some really strong words about those who cause others to fall, to stumble, to be in this spot. God, help us to understand these words of your son. I do not take them lightly. For Jesus, these were your words. So help us in your name. Amen. We're at the end of what we call chapter 9 in the book of Mark, and we're at the second half of what would be kind of this discourse, this conversation Jesus was having in a home with his disciples. There's at least one child there with them. He may have pulled them in from maybe the household, brought him in, but it's a very inward-focused conversation. It's really about the disciples, but it's even a little bit about those who follow Jesus. And this discourse has kind of been a constant, the greater, the lesser, the greater, the lesser. And the last week we heard from Steve uh, some of these things from Jesus. He said things like this at the beginning of the conversation. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a, you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So at the first half of this conversation, he's having with his disciples, it's all about how this is how his kingdom is going to work. This is how the kingdom of God works. The last shall be first and to give and to serve and to be. So he's really flipping their understanding. The servant is honored. The childlike or the little one is welcomed. Kingdom people quench thirst. This is doing the work of the kingdom. As Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Their thirst will be quenched. This is the work of the kingdom. This is the work that we're all called in to be as well. Thirst quenchers. Servant people. To actually strive to be less. But we continue this week with the second part of this conversation. Well, this one is, he's shaping this. This is how it really should be. And then he flips it. This is not how the kingdom works. Or at least this one. So based on their conversation, the disciples had just had this argument of who the greatest was amongst them. Who's going to be at the top. They, different, they obvious that they had a different kingdom in mind. And based on how we tend to elevate narcissistic leaders, even in our culture, it's a different kingdom than we know as well. I'll read it. I'll do my best to explain it. There is a lot here, so stick with me. Or not. Your option is choice. But God wants you to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Woo, okay. If anyone causes one of these little ones, so if you remember, Jesus had pulled the child close to him. Those who believe in me, so I'll start over. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet that cause you to stumble. 
to two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? So have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. I have never sung a worship song based on these verses. (laughs) Have you? If my hand causes me to stumble, cut it off. It's like a kid's song. No, don't do that. This is a collection of Jesus' sayings, analogies, but he brings a lot of extra heat. This is actually an incredible, loving passage that's seen as very poignant in our life. This word to stumble in Greek really means to scandalize. It means to shock people in such a way that they're disoriented and understanding what the truth really is, what's really happening. It could be someone's behavior towards them. Someone, you looked up to them and their behavior shocked you in such a way that put you in that stumbling state that you're not quite sure what it means to follow God anymore. I've heard this from students. They look at maybe an adult in their life, maybe even a parent, and say, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, I don't want that Jesus. I had a conversation with a friend a couple weeks ago who was like, I don't want to become a Christian because God is like A, B, and C. And I said, if that's what God is really like, I don't want him either. It's not who he really is. But we get shocked and we stumble. So let's zero in for a little bit as this word scandalize really means the rejection of the kingdom message or deserting the way. It's shocking to know that someone's rejection of God can actually disorient others who are looking up to them. Let's zero in a little bit. First of all, he says, toward the little ones who believe. If anyone causes of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. Jesus is setting up a different kind of kingdom here. He's inviting the little ones in. So yes, this could mean kids. It means kids. It also means people new to the faith. It means people who are on the margins of life. It means those who are dependent on other people to do the functions of life. And Jesus is saying to people, anyone who causes them to be disoriented or be in that state where they're trying to catch themselves, woe to you. These are the warnings to them. And Jesus is saying this in a historical shadow of some horrifying events where leaders took a different path towards the young ones. It's important for you to know these things and to hear these things Not so much for the events themselves, but what was behind the event. If you know about ancient Egypt, about 1500 B.C. or so, the time leading up to when Moses was being born, there was a growth in the Hebrew people. They were enslaved, and the Egyptian ruler time had this incredible fear that they were becoming more powerful than us. So he went double down on persecuting them. He even got to the point in his own, like, I want to lose my power, that he put this edict out to have all the male boys be killed at birth because that was his view 
of children. Let me read you some of this crazy story. It comes from Exodus chapter 1. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? This is so great. The midwives answered Pharaoh, Oh man, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but, every, but let every girl live. Into this context and into this kingdom where it was control and power, Moses is born. He snuck through. And he got to the age of three months when they could no longer hide him, they said. So they put him in a basket, if you know this story. And then something beautiful happens. Pharaoh's daughter comes and sees this baby and feels something for him. And something different is born. Not out of fear, but out of compassion. Out of deep love. And compassion turned history. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were working, walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then a little bit later, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. A kingdom that was being controlled by fear and persecution was actually built by compassion. Someone stepping into the darkest places and saying, I have compassion on this child. Because compassion and empathy oppose power. Power doesn't beat power. Jesus says, empathy does. Compassion does. Love. There's another a dark shadow that Jesus is speaking within when the group of sages, we know this from the Christmas story, the wise men, follow the star and they actually would go visit the new king being born. So they go to where? They go to where the present king was, Herod. And as Steve talked about last week, he was obsessed with greatness and his narcissism overtook him and controlled him. So he didn't really like to hear that there might be a new king. So once again, out of fear... Herod tries to control the situation. Go find him, he said, and bring him back to me so I too can worship him. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and they bowed and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. You see, God intervenes. And when evil is confronted by the voice of God, 
it panics like a hive of yellow jackets. It just scatters and does whatever it can because it too starts to stumble. What do you do when those stumbling cases? When Israel, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. He's speaking in light of these two huge stories where they try to control with power and anger and kill the children. And Jesus is like, no, let the children come to me. He's flipping this whole thing. When God opposes the evil of this world, it scatters like a hive of bees. And I will say this. When religious people are also challenged in what they believe is true, they will scatter like a hive of bees. Because stumbling doesn't just happen in the evil world to those who are good. It happens in the confines of churches as well. When we elevate things to be higher than what Jesus is calling us to be and do. Because his kingdom is built on compassion and empathy and love. So when Jesus sees those people themselves who are following him start to engage with each other with the same things as the Pharaoh, as Herod, things like fear and greed and control and posture of pride. When he starts to see here are the seeds that got them where they were and he starts to see them in his own people, he's like, stop. Because you don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to cause a bunch of people to stumble. It's a slow growth because there are seeds being thrown, seeds of the kingdom in your life, and there's seeds of the evil one being thrown. And which one are you watering? These kinds of seeds feed kingdoms that pursue greatness over serving, power over support, personal plans over God's provisions, dismissing the vulnerable, the unlearned, the young, the oppressed, or worse, leading them into sin by confusing them what the kingdom is really about. This is done by setting up systems of legalism to control behavior. This is done by neglecting our own personal submission to God, realizing that there are others who are counting on us. This scandalizing includes hearts of criticism and bitterness that we let foster and grow. This comes about from withdrawing, actually, from communities of faith. The enemy loves the cause, the stumbling increasing here. We Sometimes we pull back from communities of faith and we're like, I'm actually just trying to take some time to be with God and withdraw. But really the enemy is like, I got you separated now. I believe nothing causes the stumbling more than someone you look up at start to question my faith. That phrase is crazy to me sometimes. I'm having a crisis of faith. It usually means some event has happened in somebody's life. From as little as my car broke down, why would God allow that to do that? I'm having a crisis of faith. I'm like, what is your faith in? To a disappointment of life, like why doesn't God want something better for me? The enemy loves those spaces. Jesus is getting really, really serious here for a few minutes. Will you go with me? Do you see it? Do you get it? Things like this. If you're causing the stumble, it is better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. 
A large millstone would be one that was probably moved by a donkey. It could have been 1,600 pounds or so. It's kind of like, it'd be better if he strapped a car around his neck and dropped into the sea. Jesus is like, I'm serious about this. But this isn't just about children. It's about people new to following Jesus. It's about those who are trusting you that your actions make sense. That my actions make sense. Jesus begins to use some other imageries, using the same word to scandalize, to stumble. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to stumble, pluck it out. How serious do you think Jesus is about this stumbling stuff? Because here's his conclusion. It is better to be crippled, maimed, and only have one eye than have a life in conflict with the ways of the kingdom of God. He's like, stop messing around. Jesus is amazing where he's taking these things that may have been a result of a sin in the Old Testament. If you steal, your hand's cut off. If you do this, or this. And he's saying that's actually better than for you to continue pulling people away. That's how serious this is to him. I can't imagine him not having tears in his eyes with his heart broken for those who need compassion, for those who need empathy. And then there are those who are like, I'm following Jesus, but I'm just thinking about myself. It crushes him. Then he goes all in. He goes all in on the imagery, and he references hell. Now, there's a few different words in the New Testament for hell. There's Hades, there's Sheol, and then there's one, Gehenna. Jesus uses the word Gehenna. And the reality is, is that Gehenna is a real place in Jerusalem, right outside of Jerusalem at that time. It also could mean the eternal damnation of somebody, but he's also using a reference point that was just this horrific place in the history of who they were. Back in 2 Chronicles, we learn of this evil king named Ahaz who used this place to actually sacrifice children to a god. Later, another king in 2 Chronicles uses the exact same place to erect altars to Baal. And he made sacred poles to these goddesses in the same place, Gehenna. As the Bible tells 2 Chronicles, he sacrificed his children in the fire of the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is Gehenna, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. This is this horrific place of fire that never stopped burning. The Bible dictionary tells us this, here the dead bodies of animals and of criminals and all kinds of filth were cast and consumed by fire, kept always burning. It's thus in the process of time became the image of the place of everlasting destructing. Jesus was using a place they all knew. If there is a darkest, darkest place, this was it. It had the history of darkness. It had the history of horrific things. It had a history of death. And Jesus is making this statement, it is better that you go there than to continue to causing people to stumble. Man, you guys okay? You're like, what Jesus is this? Once again, we can look at this and go, man, Jesus is really hard. Like he's being difficult, like he's so demanding. But Jesus' love is saying, 
I have compassion for those who need a little extra help. I have compassion for those kids who are counting on somebody. I have compassion for those people who are new to the faith and they're looking up to you religious leaders. They're looking up to somebody to say, show me the way. And Jesus is like, you've turned your back on them. You're actually making it harder for them. You're actually causing them to stumble. You're using them for your own greed. It's strong. But Jesus finishes with these words. He finishes with words around reconciliation. It's almost like his landing point. Because all of these things are true, this is now how you should live, and this is what's going to hold you together and move you forward. He says this, Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. The implication here is that all of this craziness and stumbling and talk of hell and cutting things off all happens in the context of disagreement. It all happens in the context of war between people. Because Jesus goes, the way you actually solve these things isn't with more legalism or rules or like don't drink around certain people who have problems here or don't do this. But he's like, be at peace with all men and that'll feed everything else. Let me tell you how I know that. See, in the Old Testament, salt is a symbol of covenant. Jesus also uses the word salt that you individually should be salt, right? You are the salt of the world. Right? And we know that salt brings flavor. We know that salt brings preservation. So you individually go out and do that. But there's a community of faith. There's a covenant with God, including salt as well. Let me show you some stuff. Leviticus 2.13. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to your offerings. Numbers 18.19. It's an everlasting covenant of salt. Before the Lord. Second Chronicles 13.5. The God of Israel has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt. Jesus is taking this thing that they knew, a covenant of salt. What does that mean? I think it really means the, the value of salt, once again, is to flavor and preserve. The commitment that, Jesus, that God is saying, make a covenant with me, I will add flavor and preserve you if you honor me. The covenant with community is to say, I'm not just to bring salt to where I go. The community is supposed to be such a way with one another that we bring flavor to each other. That our heart is to help preserve each other. That we bring that into pieces. The opposite of that of stumbling would be, I'm going to suck the life out of you. <laughs> I'm taking the flavor out of you. I'm taking the preserving out of you by pushing you away. When people step away from fellowship, when they step away from community, they're not just saying, like, I'm just going to do my own thing now. They're actually saying, I'm going to stop adding flavor and bring preservation to the community by my withdrawal. They don't realize they're saying that, but that's the stumble. Do you see it? Jesus is saying the covenant, being committed to do these things with each other, 
will stop the stumbling, will keep us going. You're offering flavor and preserving it. The author of Hebrews says it like this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's living out the covenant of salt with each other. So when you're in conflict, whether it's passive or aggressive, whether you're disconnected or you withdraw from the community, whether you're withholding from other people. And stumbling can happen at any times, and most often it's without any warning, isn't it? And the power of community is here to put up the sign, watch your step around these areas. The power of community is there to catch you when you start to fall. There is nothing worse than stumbling all by yourself, for there is no one there to catch you when you fall. And the power of community is to clean up the mess that caused it in the first place. This past spring, we were looking at emotional healthy relationships, if you remember. And one of the weeks that we looked at, we talked around how important it was to stop mind reading and to clarify expectations. To start to tell the stories of what somebody else is thinking. And I would say that both of these deal distinctly of why covenants get broken. When we mind read and live with unclarified expectations between one another, covenants are broken, stumbling happens, relationships, families, communities, or faith are in trouble. But when we expose that which we're thinking in our head and say, here's what I'm thinking, is this really true? Is this not true? Because those thoughts of mind reading and assumptions is the stumble. And the enemy is there to blow wind at your back. And the community should be there to say, I'm going to stop this. The second piece around clarifying expectations. When we don't, we're accelerating the stumble. We're accelerating the struggle. What I never want to do is just take a series and go, okay, we're done with that. But I see such a distinct clarity between those two. Now, what do we do leaving out from here? You're like, well, I'm going to be nice to people. I don't know, did Jesus really mean I've got to start cutting off my hands and this and that? This is what he means, I think. Stop living your life in such a way where conflict with another person is okay. Stop living your life in such a way that conflict within a community of faith is okay. Be so committed to restoring and living at peace with one another. It doesn't mean you're always going to agree on everything, but at least it's not unspoken. And the community of God can come together and say, okay, at least I know and I understand. Because when the community of faith is starting to be in disagreement and to struggle and to not be on the same page, at least with what God is saying, we're accelerating the stumble. Let's be honest. You can cause me to stumble. I can cause you to stumble. But why would we ever want to do that? Sometimes I get some emails that I'm like, uh, well, I'm just going to guess this is not what the person meant. Because all I'm doing is stumbling. Because it doesn't do me any good to go, man, this person meant to cause me to stumble. It doesn't take much to cause that, right? Let's be a place where it's not okay to tell stories, but to make things right. Be a family that it's not okay to assume things. 
Be a parent whose kids can look up to them, not that they're perfect, but that they pursue God well. Be a spouse that someone can rely on and count on. Not that you're perfect, but you're committed to following God well. There's something that I encourage young people to pray for all the time. They say, what should I look for in a future mate, a future husband, a future wife, a future friend? What kind of characteristics? What I tell them all the time is stop looking at the characteristics and just pray you find someone who the Holy Spirit has access to their heart. Because if the Holy Spirit has access to their heart, the stumbling will be very limited. My friends, let's pray for each other that the Holy Spirit has access to each other's hearts. So that it's not my words convincing, but it's God's words affirming you. Let's take a moment and be quiet before God. I don't know what this has brought up. Entirely possible and most likely probable. It's even something different than where I took these words that God is working in you. You might be in the middle of that stumble. Like you're just hanging on for dear life. You're you're hoping. The impact doesn't hurt that bad. And you feel like you've impacted the ground, but you keep getting up and stumbling and stumbling. Jesus wants you to hear today that he deeply cares for you. His empathy and compassion for you is real. And he wants to hold you in that stumble. For some of you, you might be causing people to stumble by your actions. By the things you're saying, the things you're doing. You might be thinking, it's my life, I get to do what I want. But you're in community, you're in relationship, you're with others. I think God's asking you to stop. Reconsider your ways. I think for all of us to take the words of Jesus that he said at the very end of the message, be at peace with people, be at peace with one another. That is wind at the back. Holy Spirit, I pray that you work and make your thoughts known. be different. We can be different with your help. May we live well in your kingdom, Jesus. We love you. So my encouragement for us this week is to be at peace. To be at peace with yourselves. Peace comes in ourselves when we repent. Go to God and say, I need to let go of a lot of these things that I'm self-inflicting this stumbling. Be at peace with each other with a covenant. Stop telling stories in your head or making up things. Just go to people. Make things right in your home. May our homes be a place we never stumble. May our church be a place we never stumble.
this world is hard enough and mean enough and trying to trip it, may the places of God's kingdom never be that close to each other. Father, I pray and I, I ask for your spirit to give us the power to be bold and sure, to repent of the things we need to let go of and to be for each other who you have called us to be. We love you in your name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. I you tend to sit right over here if you want to say hi and connect, but go out and be well with you.